good to be with you this morning. Pastor Susong and I, uh, like uh, Doug said, uh, came into the presbytery on the same day, so we were being grilled. It was grilled pastor on the menu that day, so uh, he did really well, and uh, so we were already kind of brothers in, in trial together. So, uh, And uh, as we got to know each other over the last year, having dim sum together, and he was trying to explain Asian culture to me, he was like, uh, Koreans are the Irish of Asia. I was like, well, dude, we we have to hang out. So uh, <clears throat> that's why we get along so well, because I'm Irish and uh, like to stir it up. And, uh, and so it's great to be with you. Uh, thanks for welcoming me and my family. And I uh, just want to say a few words. Uh, Pastor Susong said I could say a little bit about my ministry, and I want this to be an infomercial. But uh, really, this is an infomercial about the gospel about how does God transform us. So my ministry that I'm uh, seeking to do full-time is called Grace Exchange. So the word grace and the word change with Christ in the middle. So Christ, when he brings us grace, is not just to say, man, I love you no matter what, and you can stay the way you are. God's grace actually transforms us and changes us. And that's really what I want to look at this morning about really when I'm counseling people and counseling Christians specifically I think they're really always wrestling with, who am I? Am I this problem I have? I have depression, but a lot of times they feel like, well, I am my depression, or or I have anxiety, so everything I think about is anxious thoughts, or something was done to me in my past, so I am shamed and deeply broken because of this thing. And so one of the great gifts God gives to us is to give us the gospel, which really is like a wedge that helps us peel away the labels that we've given ourselves or, or, or our families have given us or our past experiences have given us. And instead, Jesus gives us this new self, this new identity through the gospel. And so this, this passage this morning is all about that in Colossians 3. So I invite you to turn there with me. I'm going to read it. It's on page 984 in your pre Bibles. So that worked out kind of cool. I think that's... Uh, Yeah, the same version I do. And I'm going to read from verse 1 uh, to verse uh, 17. And sometimes I ask people to stand as we read God's Word. That just keeps our blood kind of flowing uh, because we're going to be sitting for a while. So let's stand and honor God, who's the King, who speaks His Word uh, to us. This is the Word of God for the people of God, so listen with your hearts and your ears. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with Him in glory. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. In these you too once walked when you were living in them, but now you must put them all away, anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Here there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, or free, but Christ is all and in all. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassion, kindness, humility, 
meekness and patience, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other. As the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you are called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Amen. Have a seat. John, thanks for leading us this morning in song. That, was, that song, Stronger, is really just a great song to match this passage. Think about that line for a second. You broke my shame and sinfulness. Something that had kind of surrounded us, that had sort of coded our lives, had really defined our lives. Jesus came in and messed that up. He came and broke that off of us so that what could emerge is our new self, a new freedom, a new joy, a new direction in our life. Because when you start to maybe ask yourself or, or maybe you have friends ask you or maybe you're even asking this question this morning, what is a Christian? And the first thing that maybe pops in your mind is some behaviors. Well, of course, church. Of course, there's Bible study. Oh, there's lots of singing. I have to start liking singing. Uh, I have to start like reading books like the Bible or Tim Keller or whoever the cool author is that you're supposed to read, that Sue Song has you reading. Um, but that's not what the Bible says. The Bible says that a Christian is someone who is connected to Jesus Christ. Not just because you say on your Facebook uh, page, like on the page, Jesus Christ. A Christian is someone who is vitally connected to Jesus by faith. And it means that something radical has happened as a gift of God to us. Look at verses 1 through 4 here. He starts off with, If then you have been raised with Christ. What is a Christian? Number one is someone that has been raised again from the dead. It means we were dead in our sins and we were alienated from God. In fact, we were enemies to God and God made us alive. Kind of the sister book of Colossians is Ephesians. It says he made us alive together with Christ in him. So when Jesus was raised up, we got yanked up out of our graves where we were lost and separated from God. So the first thing about a Christian is he's a resurrected person. He's a new self, just as Jesus. They saw him and say, whoa, you're here. You're not dead. Awesome. There's something new has happened in the world. That is what is true of you, uh, Christian. Um, The second thing uh, that a Christian has is a new mindset. Because look at what verse 2 says. Seek then, if you've been raised, it's kind of like a math problem or a computer uh, program. If this is true, then this also must be true. If you have been raised with Christ, what's your mindset? It's upwards. It's above the, the stuff that's going on in the world, the stuff that's going on with our desires. There's now a new interest 
in what God's into, what God says, what God loves, what God hates. And that's actually, first of all, a gift before it's a duty. It's a gift to us to begin to start thinking about uh, awesome things of God and beautiful things in his word. Because we weren't interested before God got a hold of our hearts. We were sort of like, meh, so what? Suddenly we're alive to that. So first it's a gift and then it's a duty. Set your minds on things that are above, not on the things that are on earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. I don't know if you know anybody in the witness protection program, but if you do, don't out them, please, because that's not the purpose of it is to hide them, right? And one of the biggest temptations as a Christian, and we're going to look at this, is we talk about a Christian is a new creation in Christ. But then there's still some old stuff that you're doing or wanting to do or thinking about or worrying about. So you're maybe saying, I thought everything was supposed to be new. What's up with this old, old stuff? And think about this. You were maybe an awesome athlete in high school, but you're in the witness protection program. Your biggest desire is to pull out that Letterman jacket and wear it <laughs> with your last name splashed on the back. Because you got a lot of pride and a lot of significance from your last name, where you were born and who you were, and all the medals you got run across country or soccer or something like that. But guess what? You're in the witness protection program. You can't put that jacket on anymore because that's deadly. If you're in the witness protection program, if you were to, to wear your old name, it's like, boom, you're dead, right? This is what Paul is saying is, you're dead. That old you needs to not hang in the closet anymore. It needs to actually go to Goodwill or the dump. Two options, right? But it needs to go away. You don't drag it out and go, oh, I like those were the glory days when I was doing that stuff. And, and look at my name. He's basically saying, your life is now hid with Christ. Christian, you have a new name on the back of your letterman jacket. You now have his glory and his grace and his righteousness on your chest defining you. And so Paul is saying, be who you are. Be your new self. Don't grab your old wardrobe out of the closet. Clean out the closet. <laughs> And come and be your new self in Jesus. This is a gift to you. So look at verse 4. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will appear with him in glory. And so a Christian is living between two brackets, kind of two parentheses. One is a glorious resurrection, and one is a glorious future. We sang about that too, is when he returns. But what I find a lot in counseling and even in my own heart is, Wow, it's awesome. He raised me from the dead. That is glorious. I'm going to see him again. I'm going to be perfectly, and the whole universe is going to be totally new when Jesus returns. That is awesome. So we're bracketed by awesome. It's a glory sandwich. But what, what's the filling in the middle? Well, there's sweet and sour, crunchy, gross um, stuff. There's a lot of hard stuff in the Christian life. There's a lot of hard brokenness still, even though we're a new creation and, and we have a glorious future and we have a glorious resurrection in Jesus out of our sins. The real problem of, of Christianity is the middle, living in the middle. And a lot of people are trying to figure out, am I just the worst Christian in the world or is this tough stuff normal? And the message of the New Testament is the tough stuff is normal, but God's grace is exactly for the tough stuff. Not just the glorious future, beam me up Jesus or, or come back Jesus. It's 
Jesus, get into my stuff today. Get into my broken stuff in my marriage or in my family relationships or in my own thoughts. Jesus, get into that now and, and make that new. I'm not, just not waiting for a date in the future. I want Jesus to know him and to be transformed by him right now. So the good news is, if, if that's kind of Christian who you are, this step two or, or point two is, Christian, what, what should now be about? And, and this is what we start to see in verse five. And this sounds pretty uh, gruesome. Put to death. You're like, I have to be a, a killer? Um, yeah. Um, not in a terrorist sense, not in a religious zealot sense that, that you shoot a bunch of people up uh, like we've seen in the news. What are we supposed to shoot up now that we are in Jesus? It's kind of interesting in the Greek, and I won't get all geeky, Greeky on you, but this is kind of cool. But it says, therefore, what is earthly in you? You can almost think about, I don't know if you've ever been to like Yellowstone or a place that has hot springs. What happens? Blah, blah, blah. Bubble. Bubbling up, bubbling up. Basically, Paul is saying, this is the stuff that bubbles up because we live here, because we, we live in a world that's damaged by sin and we're still sinning. So it's like, there's going to be stuff bubbling up, bubbling up. Do we bottle it and go, I'm going to drink that stuff. That is awesome. He's like, no, 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 no. We flush that stuff. Whatever's bubbling up from our brokenness and our our sinful desires and the stuff of our culture. He's like, we put that to death. And then he gives a list. And, And most of you are probably expecting most of the things on this list. Sexual immorality. That's premarital sex, extramarital sex, all kinds of other broken and twisted uh, expressions of uh, contrary to what God has said. Impurity, very similar. Stuff that's just nasty, right? Passion. This can be like anger or just desiring too much. Like you want chocolate all the time, right? Or Starbucks. I got to have Starbucks. <laughs> Basically driven by stuff driven by the desire for more 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 might even be a good thing but it's this desire that's gone out of control what's cancer cancer is a cell growing out of control what is sin many times it's a desire growing out of control a good thing growing beyond its bounds and another word for that in scripture is idol another god another lord another master another boss uh uh driving us to do things against God. And look what it says here. And covetousness, which is, I want what they have. And what, is, what does Paul call it? Idolatry. You'd say, well, desires, I just have them. It's kind of like houses have furniture, dogs have fleas, I have desires, so what? Well, no, there's a moral side to our desires because they're idolatrous. They're taking us in a away-from-God direction. And so one of God's greatest gifts he can do for us is to help us get a rein on those desires, to be freed from those cravings and those things that, that take us away from God. And then he sort of shocks him. He, he does this kind of thinking again, not just looking in the past, but he looks to the future and he says, and against these things, God's wrath will be revealed. So God's going to squash these things someday. So what's the Christian's attitude about those things? Start smashing away now. Uh, Stephen Covey, some of you might have to read him for 
uh, like uh, uh, your business, uh, getting things effective and organized and stuff like that. He has this principle. It's from Scripture. Begin with the end in mind. So if God's going to smash it someday, he wants to wreck it today. He wants to wreck what is against him. And so if we belong to him and we have a new mind and a new heart, a new identity, a new direction, then we should be smashing that same stuff that we find bubbling up in our lives. We should be uh, getting rid of that. Not because that is what makes us right with God, but because we have been reconciled with him. This is what alienates us from him. This is what gets in the way of intimacy and enjoyment of God. And then, so that's the future, verse 6. Verse 7, he says, and you used to be all about these things. So it's going to be perfectly, quote-unquote, natural to be thinking about these things or maybe wanting to go back to them because they were in your story. They were some of your best friends. They, they, you spent long hours with these things. But he says, that's not you anymore. Uh, you're in the witness protection program. Your life is in Christ. You can say no and must say no to these things. But look down uh, further. So he uses this idea of put to death. He uses this uh, other idea, verse 8, of like putting off old clothes, like that old letterman jacket. He's like, put it away, put it off, take it off, throw it away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. And this is a struggle because that first list is like, oh yeah, that's really nasty. This list, parts of them, sometimes we don't treat them as the same kind of nasty being nasty to other people in our attitudes and our, and our words. So sometimes in church there's perfectly acceptable sins and then there's the really unacceptable sins. And sometimes it's like gossip. Oh, I'm just sharing a prayer request. No. <laughs> you, you want the, that person's stock to go down in the eyes of other people. That's a destructive revelation of truth. Gossip is actually confessing someone else's sins for them to another person. You don't want them to be free from those sins. You want them to pay for those sins. And, and so, so much of these kind of words, anger, wrath, malice, slander, is telling a truth or a half-truth to hurt someone. Obscene talk is not just dirty talk. In Ephesians 4, the, the sister passage, this one, it says any, it has this idea of like termites. Any talk that actually causes someone's um, joy to crumble or their... Uh, self-esteem to crumble, to rot them away. Instead, it says, say wholesome things to edify or build someone up. So it's not just avoid a list of 10 really bad words. It's let's put away the way we talk that actually destroys rather than builds up. So Jesus wants to free us from the way we used to use our mouths and used to use our relationships or used to use Facebook or whatever in, the, in our technologically advanced way to do these things even faster with more people. That, that's all that social media has done. It's not this new evil. It's this new fast way to do the evil that's already in here, and it comes out faster into more people, sometimes with more damage. So he says, verse 9, Don't lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self. And this is a real trick as we hear these kind of the shoulds of Christianity is there's a, there's a way that Christians can begin to lie to each other. There's two ways. One lie is 
put on a fake self of righteousness because that's how you stay cool in, in Christian community. That's one form of lying. Another form of lying to each other is to say, dude, we all struggle with that. Don't sweat it. All Christians do that kind of thing. Don't, don't get bent out of shape. Jesus is all about grace, man. Don't, don't worry about that. That's another way of lying. One is to say, it's unacceptable to struggle. It's unacceptable to repent. You just have to be perfect on the outside. That's one lie. The other lie is, whatever, dude. And the gospel says, no. Anything that belongs to your old self is not cool around here. Not that we reject you or we scan you at the front like the TSA so that you can come in here. Only the righteous need apply. This room would be empty if that was the case, if we pre-screened, right? And some communities pre-screen people so that the only people that are really in are pastors or elders or deacons and stuff like that. But the gospel says, since the gospel comes to put a wedge between our old self and our new self, it says you can leave that at the door. This is actually a freedom that you have in Christ is to be your new self. Listen to what a wise pastor, Eugene Peterson, said about what the gospel does in a community. A congregation is composed of people who, upon entering a church, leave behind what people on the street name or call them. A church can never be reduced to a place where goods and services are exchanged. It must never be a place where a person is labeled. So it's not like at the door we just get a different name tag and then fake it a fake name. This is the community is where we start to live out the gospel and we learn to throw off our stuff. And we can say, you don't have to do that anymore. He's forgiven you of that and he can free you from that. Presently, you can let that go so it doesn't define you and it doesn't control you. Because look at what uh, verses 10 and 11 say. So you put off the old self with its practices and I put on the new self, which is being renewed. You hear that being word? So a lot of people are wrestling with this awesome verse, 2 Corinthians 5.17. If anyone is in Christ, <clears throat> he is a new creation. The old has passed away. The new has come. Isn't that a great comfort? But it, again, it's what happens in the middle of our lives. I'm a new creature, but I struggle with old junk. What's up with that? Is something not working? Am I going to the wrong church, reading the wrong Bible, reading the wrong books? Where it has to work is this being word, is that this is a process where we're growing into our new self, where we're throwing off the old stuff, and we're learning it as we go, as we hear the gospel sung, as we hear it preached, as we say it to each other. We're going to look at that in just a second, about how can we start to talk to each other so that what is true about us in the gospel becomes really our core identity and this battle against sin becomes kind of our, our group project uh, together. I hated group projects in school because I always felt like I was the only one that worked. But that really probably says more about me than about those people is that I thought about myself working so hard. And some of you are the hard workers, and so you're thinking, I can do this. And then some of you are slackers. And the, and the hard workers in the group project, look, the slackers like, dude, if you weren't on our team, we could all get an A. Man, I, I want to like, vote you off the island. Come on. But here God has, has lumped us all together and has given us this gracious gift of being a Christian, being a new person. And so it's going to be rough. There's going to be old stuff popping up. There's going to be misunderstandings. 
Look at verse 11. There's cultural differences. There's not Greek and Jew. That was kind of the, the world broke into two parts, Greek and Jew. Uh, from a Jewish perspective, there, everybody was either circumcised or uncircumcised. Kind of on a geopolitical basis, there were barbarians, which are those are the guys who were going to attack us and burn down our cities. There were Scythians, and those were like marauders from like Russia and Mongolia. These guys were hardcore. They would ride down and, and drink out of people's skulls and stuff. So these, not good, yeah. Uh, slave, free, so there was kind of economic stuff. And Jesus blows all that away. Christ is all. He's all sufficient to save all of these creepy people, all these people from the wrong, quote-unquote, group, the wrong team, and he is now filling them all with his grace. So the gospel actually blows over so many things that we hold as so key and so important that are all kind of surface uh, things that can fool us into thinking, this person is righteous, this person is unrighteous. Jesus is blowing all that away to make people truly righteous, both as a gift of his grace and now as a result of his grace, of this transformation we're talking about. Then let's look 12 to 17, then as we kind of move to wrap up. So because Jesus is blowing away all these kind of surface things, it means we can have real community with each other, even while God is doing real change in our lives helping to sort out what's old and what's new. And that's a little bit messy. And as much as we want to, want to clean it up and, and send out a dress code and acceptable website list, acceptable music artists to listen to, acceptable grocery stores to shop at, all organic, such as free, fair trade, all that kind of stuff, um, Jesus doesn't do that. He starts from the inside out transforming us, and, we, and he's doing it with us all together. So look at verse 12. <clears throat> put on then, and so we've, we've kind of had an individual model of, okay, I've got old junk in my life, I need to do new stuff in my life. But here he's talking to, and, and people in the southern U.S. have the convenience that their language allows for that when people say y'all. So here, here Paul is saying, put on then y'all as God's chosen ones. So this is like a group project. You all together are holy. <clears throat> That's pretty awesome. <clears throat> You're like, who, me? Holy? I think there's only two holy people in this room. One of them's probably up talking and another one somewhere back there. That's kind of how we tend to think, right? No, no, no. The holy people are the ones that God loves and has changed. Paul writes some of the sketchiest people in the New Testament in, called the Corinthians. You know he calls them? To the saints. He just not meant the two of you that are doing it right, this letter's for you. No, to the whole church, he says, you're his saints. You're his holy ones who have been gifted this new life in Christ and have gifted this new uh, life as a community walking in the steps and the ways and the grace of Jesus. So that's what he's saying here. And what do we look like as God gets a hold of our lives and, and as we live it together? Compassion. We become deeply moved about what is broken in other people, empathy and sympathy, deeply concerned about others, kindness. This is deep concern that starts to take action, starts to do things to relieve suffering and and to bring blessing. Humility. Stop thinking that it's all about you. That's 
probably one of the harder ones because we've been conditioned to be thinking about our performance and what are people thinking about me? Am I doing it right? One of the greatest gifts God can give us is self-forgetfulness, that we can hang out with other people and think they're awesome and think they're interesting, not waiting for them to say, I hope they ask me about my golf game or my new promotion at work. No, you want to be looking for ways to compliment them and enjoy them. Meekness, not just always trying to be the biggest personality in the room, but wanting to be a blessing to others. And then this one, don't pray for this one. People always say, don't pray for patience, right? Because it's going to be tested. The way you grow patience is through the testing of stuff. Because what does he say here? Bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, and we should probably kind of translate that word if, when you have a complaint. Because we have a bunch of sinners bumping up against each other. And actually, God in his wisdom, and kind of his what one writer called his severe mercy, the friction of community with other sinners is one of the ways God begins to reveal our sinfulness and he starts to rub it off because we're scraping against each other. We're kind of like dragon scales banging up against each other. And God wants them to start falling off as we start to say, hey, I never knew that my way of thinking about me all the time was so hurtful to my wife or to my friends at church that it had ruined all my relationships. I'm so glad that God told me that I have that problem through another person, through that conflict. So conflict doesn't say, you're evil, you have to leave. Conflict says, that's your old self, put it away. And we can all do that for each other, invite each other to say, wouldn't it be awesome if God could release us from that and we could be different in the way that we live uh, together? So he talks about, as the Lord has forgiven you. This is when we, we get the gospel and then we give it to each other back, is forgiving one another. It's not just something in our head or not just something in our confession of faith. It's something that grows in our relationships. I can let you off the hook. I can forgive you for what you did. Why? Because Jesus told me to? No, because Jesus has forgiven me. I can't give away what I haven't received. So we receive his forgiveness and then we pass it on like hot potato game off onto another uh, person. Then as he goes down, put on love. Just like put all kinds of love all over that thing. Just drown it with love. Drown your relationships with love. And if you feel that you can't love people, pray. Say, God, maybe I don't sense your forgiveness. My hardness towards someone is because I don't know. I haven't released them from the sins they have done against me. I'm holding them to it. I'm busting their chops all the time over how they've sinned against me. I can't love them when I am uh, not forgiving them. And then verse 15, called to one body. So here it says, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts to which indeed you were called in one body and be thankful. So really this word rule is referee. Invite the peace of Christ to boss you around in your relationships. Say, is what I'm about to say or what I'm about to do Is that going to ruin the peace of Christ in our community? That we start to just not care about appearances, but we're trying to say, I want to be actually holy, and I want to be actually loving, and I want God's peace to not just appear like we're peaceful here, like we have no problems, like we're the righteous church where everybody does everything right. I want this to become more and more true, 
we're actually peaceful because we're loving and forgiving uh, one another. But peace rules, the next point, he puts these together. Peace rules where the word dwells. You might have been in homes where there were Bible verses on the fridge and on little needle point on the walls, but there was a lot of bitterness and unforgiveness there. How can those two stay be true? Well, because we can have Bible verses on the walls, but if it hasn't changed how we think about ourselves, how we extend grace to others, they're words. Beautiful words, totally true words, but they haven't penetrated and transformed our relationships. So he says, the peace of Christ rules when God's word rules. Not because you have a Bible verse behind everything you say, but you're driven by God's grace in everything that you do. That is a beautiful goal, and you're going, I want it, but how do I do it? Well, the how is kind of next. How do you let the word of Christ dwell in you richly instead of just ending every email with a Bible verse? Teaching and admonishing one another. If God's teaching you something out of his word, share it. Maybe it's your Facebook status for the day. Maybe it's an email to a friend who, where they've asked you, really, how are you doing? You can say, actually, God has really helped me in this area. Be really honest where God's word has become practically powerful and joyful uh, for you. And remind one another. There's times where we get really uh, tied up in our stuff and in our life and we forget. And this word admonish is bring it back to mind for people. Not just remember what Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 says, kind of in this annoying Bible nerd kind of way, but kind of inviting each other to say, remember how good God is that he's given us a new self. What? What would that look like in responding to your wife this week or to your boss or to this temptation you have? Inviting each other to think about the implications of the truth we already know. Not beating them with this big uh, 50-pound ESV Bible, but reminding each other, man, God is so good and he frees us from all of that. And then they're singing. You say, well, I have a terrible singing voice. Um, so it might bless people if you don't sing, maybe. I don't know. That's the application there. But it says, actually, the truth becomes so dear to us and becomes so saturating us that stuff starts popping out of us and the music of the gospel starts coming out of our lives. So we can begin to say, are other people enjoying God when they're hanging out with me? Is there music there? Literal music or kind of figurative music that um, God's goodness and His grace is starting to come out in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. And kind of the energy behind all of this is just, I am so thankful that the gospel is true because I'm a big jerk. And he's forgiven all my sins and he's changing me. And that's one of my favorite things about counseling isn't bossing people around. That's actually the reason I got into counseling, I'll admit, was so I could tell people what to do. My favorite thing now about counseling is to share how God has transformed my marriage or my way I think about myself, that it's really fresh stuff that God is teaching me. And so kind of what is the best part about counseling is thankfulness happens right there in the room. I'm thankful for how God is changing me. And even as we're reading Scripture together and thinking about how their anxiety or their depression or their marital problems really aren't who they are, It's kind of like a weed growing in the garden. It's kind of choking some things out, but it's not who they are because who we are is what Christ has done for us and what Christ has given to us as our new self. 
So we start to see that this joy and this truth can just start spilling over everywhere. And this verse 17 is this, this great umbrella verse. Whatever you do, that sounds comprehensive, in word or in deed, so what's coming out of your mouth or what's coming out on your keyboard or at home with your kids um, or at school, whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus. You might recognize some guys around town, Geek Squad. You recognize them how? They're little VW bugs. And their white shirts, black ties, black pants. They're recognizable for their uniform, right? <clears throat> well, it means that when we're in Christ, we start to resemble him. Remember Peter, right before Jesus was crucified? This little girl said, Hey, you're with that Jesus guy, huh? I can tell you've got... Nazareth accent, you're a little bit smelly, you don't shower. Yeah, you look like one of those Jesus guys. And what did Peter say? Don't know that guy. Never seen him in my life. Well, he had started to take on the stuff of Jesus because he had been with him. And here we start to see that in our lives as God transforms us, we're, start, we're wearing not the, the geek squad uh, uniform, but one since the character of Jesus. And we think about as we go to activities or opportunities or temptation, we'd say, would Jesus be comfortable here? Would this be a place Jesus um, would want to be hanging out? Could I invite my Christian friends to come do this with me? And so now this new identity in Jesus, this new gift of his grace, can start to help us filter our lives. Would Jesus rejoice in this thing I'm about to do or plan? And so that seems very limiting at first. She's like, man, that checks off about four things on my list for this week. Ah. But then there's this recognition that that's a gift to no longer be defined by my cravings or my damage or my labels. I am now free to be my new self. And on Sundays and other days during the week, I can hang out with other people who are growing into their new selves. They're awkward too. Just like we're maybe buying school clothes for our kids, and we know they're going to grow like an inch in three months. So what do you do? You buy them a little big. The pants are a little big. The shoes are maybe a half size too big. Why? Because they're going to grow into it. So the first few days, they're clunky. Maybe they're tripping on their shoes in recess. That's what we feel like in the Christian life. A little bit clunky, a little bit dumpy. It doesn't quite fit. Why? Because we're growing in our new selves and so we can extend grace to each other as we grow in to our new self by the grace of God through the good news that's come to us so this morning if you are not a Christian you're not believing in Jesus don't just take it as a huge like well I got to get I got to do that then because that's just what has to be done hear it as the gift that's extended to you this morning is to be separated from your old ways that have defined you and have a new way of living and being. This is God's gift to his people. And call out to him and say, would you make me a new person? I don't want to be ruled by this stuff or defined by this stuff anymore. And that's really the great gift that we have in Christ. Let's pray. Father, we give you thanks through Christ, not only because verse 17 commands us, but because as we've... as we've opened up uh, your graciousness to us, your gifts to us in Christ. And one of the biggest gifts is a new self. And Father, I'm doing things that I never thought I'd do. 
one of which is talking to a bunch of people because uh, I'm super shy. Uh, but you have uh, won my heart and uh, changed it. And, uh, and you can do so many things <coughs> for us that we can never imagine and that we will grow into them by your grace. And so we pray that we would extend grace to one another while we grow into our new selves as we experience this ongoing renewal of ourself. And it's going to be awkward. It's going to be messy. As you've already pointed out, we're going to have to forgive each other because we're going to be offensive and take offense from each other. But the grace that you've given to us and forgiveness, we can extend it. So we thank you for giving us all that we need for life and for godliness through these great and precious promises and that you have freed us from a sinful desire that has defined us and ruined us our whole lives. Thank you that you set us free from that in Jesus Christ. If there's any that don't have faith in Christ this morning, help them to not feel condemned, but to be hopeful that Christ can change them. Would you grant them faith and repentance in Jesus? They can now walk in newness of life. Thank you for this word and for this gift through Jesus Christ our Lord. In his name, amen. Thank you, Pastor Sean.